2 Samuel chapter number 6, the Bible says in verse number 12, and it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. Watch this. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. We need real revival. We don't need make-believe revival. This is a revival conference. We need an absolutely apostolic outpouring. But if that's going to happen, there's going to have to be some healing in certain areas. Today, I've come with the instructions of God to preach from this title, from the window of the wounded. From the window of the wounded. Would you lift your hands and pray before you're seated? In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. The inception of our story takes place at a time when the Ark of the Covenant, that symbol of God's glory, had been missing from God's people for what appears to be about 40 years and three months. It had been taken from Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the high priest Eli, when the Philistines conquered them on the battlefield. From that point, including the entire 22-year reign of King Saul, it seemed that nobody was interested in bringing the glory of God back to their house. In fact, the scripture tells us that they inquired not at it in all the days of Saul. That all changed, however, after 40 plus years of the Ark of the Covenant's absence when this new king, David, sat on that throne, that Ark represented the glory of God. And while Saul may not have been interested in that ark, David said, I refuse to operate in God's kingdom without the glory of God. And with that heartbeat and the understanding that everything in Obed-Edom's world had revival because of the presence 
of the Ark of the Covenant, King David set about to return the Ark and bring revival back to his world. Now, without becoming tied down in the particulars, let me fast forward a little bit tonight to our opening scripture where David and the Bible says all of Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God, back to their church. Revival was coming. I dare you to shake somebody right now and tell them revival is coming. It was such a monumental event that the Bible tells us that they stopped every six paces and made sacrifices to the Lord. David was so involved in the, the worshiping of God that he exhausted himself trading carnal dignity for righteous purity. No, maybe Saul didn't want it, but I promise you this king was desperate for a real revival. He was so desperate. In fact, the Bible said that he took off his royal robes and stripped away all of his ego in the presence of God Almighty. Now surely, this story to those who are biblically astute shows us a picture of King David striving to bring revival back to his world. Uh, however, in the midst of all of this, there's another player in this drama known as Michael. She was the daughter of Saul and the wife of King David. And to read the story surrounding our opening text, you would see that there is a stark contrast between King David and his wife, Michael. If the picture of David's pursuit of revival is delicately painted with a sold out spirit, a heart of purity and exuberant worship, the picture of Michael's perception of revival is callously scrawled with animosity and excuses and apathy and ironically for years uh, we've made Michael a vile culprit but I'm not too sure if I'm to be honest that Michael at least in some ways was a victim herself. Perhaps nobody really considers all the reasons why Michael manifested such disdain for the events of that day but I can assure you that among the reasons she had such disdain for what God was trying to do is that somewhere her spirit had been wounded. Now when you search the word of God, we're quick to see any number of reasons why Michael might have gotten wounded. For instance, it could have been family problems that wounded Michael. After all, her own father tried to kill her husband, throwing javelins and creating chaos in the family. And maybe it was distrust that left her spirit wounded. Remember now that it was her brother who helped what her daddy called the enemy. Maybe the wounds in her spirit were self-inflicted. 
after all this same Michael who had been what had been in a relationship with another man when she was still married to David maybe she thought her wounds was the cause of God himself after all she had been married a long time and had never had a child and in that day to not have a child you were a reproach to your people oh yeah when I survey the word of God she could have felt wounded for many reasons and maybe her wounds was a product of all of them combined nevertheless you'd be wise to listen to this preacher today when I tell you that just like every one of us that are trying to do the work of God she encountered things in her world that left her spirit wounded while the church uh, while church hurt is the new trendy accusation of many most of their, their claims are just pathetic excuses but I don't think that I have to try to convince anybody in this building that all of us are going to encounter things that don't make sense to us things that leave us wounded things that leave us confused used wounded by those you love wounded by your critics wounded by your fellowship wounded by young preachers who needed your reputation when theirs was being attacked only to see you cast aside when they felt like they were over it wounded by stagnant congregations wounded by political people wounded by your own failures Wounded by the lack of ethics. Wounds, wounds, wounds. They'll hinder the kingdom of God. Might I remind you the same chapter that talks about wars and rumors of wars. It talks about pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. Uh, that same one, that same chapter said, oh, and by the way, let me tell you something else that's gonna hinder the church. And then shall many be offended. Uh, somewhere, something's gonna transgress what you're trying to do for God those wounds can be so detrimental that God's word warns us to look diligently lest some wound to your spirit leave a root of bitterness springing up to trouble you but God's word was very emphatic when it said but don't you ever forget that that wound's not just gonna affect you it has the ability to hinder everything around you including the revival that you say you want among the ways that wounds can hinder God's plan is plainly seen in the story of Michael she had been wounded and for that reason instead of being down on the street rejoicing with her husband King David and all of Israel as revival was being ushered in Michael found herself 
isolated in a lonely room looking through a little window trying to see a partial picture of what should have been a spiritually significant day in her world but instead of participating with the kingdom now ushering revival into their midst Michael found herself secluded in that place where the wounded always wound up relegated to a restricting window that only sees a little glimpse of revival here and a little glimpse of revival there they only see glimpses of the revival that others are surrounded and saturated by Ironically, through my many years of ministry, I've watched the sad tendency of people who felt wounded to separate themselves, winding up in those spiritually secluded places where they're close enough to catch a restricted glimpse of revival, but they're far enough away that they find themselves limited to only feeling the revival that others are flowing in, only sensing from a distance the revival that that others are surrounded by only seeing bits of revival that saturates others. I've come today to tell this congregation one of the most dangerous aspects of those secluded places that the wounded attempt to exist in is that you cannot see the fullness of what God's trying to do in your world. Bible said that Michael looked through a window. She wasn't standing out there on the balcony seeing it all. She wasn't out there watching everything that transpired. She's looking through a window. She's trying to see. I only get a little picture here and a little, no, 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 you don't understand, Michael. God wants you to have this revival, but you can't see it. Something supernaturally significant is happening today, Michael, but the window of the wounded is too small to see the whole picture. That window was big enough to see the things that frustrated her flesh. But it was too restricted to see the fullness of what revival would do for her world. That window was big enough to see the things that she didn't like. But that revival was too small to see the revival that she really lacked. That window was big enough to see aspects of revival that offended her. But it was far too restrictive to see the many things that God was offering her. I've been sent by God tonight to preach to somebody. It's time to come out from behind the windows of the wounded. You need to know that you'll never see the fullness of real revival in your life, in your church, or in your ministry if you're always trying to look through the windows of the wounded. It don't matter how great the presence of God is. It don't matter how pure the power of God is. It 
doesn't matter how intense the anointing of God is. When you've relegated yourself to that restricting place where the wounded are always going to hide, there may be a glorious revival headed your way, but you just can't see it when you're looking through the window of a wounded soul. Let me tell you what I'm talking about today. From the windows of the wounded, Michael could see the emotional involvement that revival required, but she just couldn't see how that emotional worship would ever protect her revival. David understood. I don't just need a little bit of praise. I need some emotional worship. We need something happening in the church. We need something thumping and jumping in the church. But Michael's view from the windows of the wounded was far too restrictive to see the need to humble herself. You see, she couldn't see a need for me to be emotionally invested in this move of God. Somebody listen to me as I preach to this Mark conference. If you ever have real revival, it's going to be because you get emotionally invested. You've got to have emotional worship. I'll tell you what Michael's problem was. From the window of the wounded, all she could see was acting like nothing but God matters. It's gonna require laying down my pride. Her mentality was, I'm too dignified to worship like that. Nobody expects somebody of my high stature to lower myself to exuberant worship. I'm too pretty for praise. I'm too debonair to dance. I'm too stylish to shout. No, you're just too proud to reach for revival. You're too proud to reach for revival. Let me tell you what the problem is. Somewhere, somebody hurt you. Somewhere, somebody was unethical. And now all you can see is it's going to require me becoming emotionally invested. But you cannot see how that emotional worship protects your revival. Strange how from the windows of the wounded... You just can't see a reason to get lost in worship along the way. Do you realize tonight, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. God's gonna do some miracles in this house here tonight. God's gonna heal some things in this place right here tonight. Some of you could change your world if you just get lost in worship. You need to dance. You need to shout. Come on now. Let me preach to you. If the only time you get excited and jump and shout is in a meeting like this and you won't do it in your own church, you're a hypocrite. You need to push that man. You need to bring oil to that service. If you can been looking through the windows of the wounded 
Let me tell you how emotional praise protects your revival. Emotional praise takes your focus off the problem and puts it back on God. Emotional praise delivers you from a sense of entitlement. It ain't all about you, it's all about him. Emotional praise strips away your pride. Emotional praise purifies your desires. Emotional praise shields us from discouragement. You can worship your way to a revival that will change your world. Worship does what very few things do. Are you aware of that? But far too many times we got wounded people who watch their revival ripped away because they're incapable of seeing through the windows of the wounded how their emotional worship protects their revival. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. You can worship your way to an apostolic revival. <laughs> I was preaching at a church. We was having a pretty good move of God in things were happening. We had praying people through left and right. And uh, all of a sudden I was in town one day and they asked me who I was and I told them. And they said, mm, you got a visitor coming tonight. I said, that's great. They said, mm-mm. I said, why not? They said, there's a satanic church in, in this next little area over here. And they are sending a satanic priest to put a curse on you and stop you from, I ain't never met a devil in my life I was afraid of. I said, reckon what time he'll be there. So I'm ready. I'm thinking he's gonna come in looking like Dracula's twin brother. I'm a, I warmed up. I'm going to slap a hand on this devil. And, uh, and when he walked in, he was about the size of a lint in my pocket. And I thought, slapping the taste out of a devil, that small mouth is, kind of takes the fun out of it. He's got black painted fingernails and he's got jet black dyed hair and he's doing all of his business there. And I start preaching. When they, they start leading the service, I watch him. He's laughing. He thinks that's the greatest thing. Setting about five rows from the back. He thinks that's the greater. He makes fun of everything they say. Every I get up to preach. Homeboy starts laughing out loud and mocking me, trying to make the same face as Sister Valerie that I, and I'm, I'm thinking, devil, I will choke you to death. And I, I'm preaching and he's just laughing. He thought that was the greatest thing. And we gave the altar call. We even baptized somebody. While we're baptizing him, he's back there going through the motions like he's going down. Admittedly, I was a little vexed. He cast it out of him. And wasn't nothing I said did nothing. I wasn't the pastor. I just, I just, I'm, I'm. and all of a sudden, while people are up front praying with the dude that got baptized, there's this little old lady. She was so old, she sneezed dust. She was old. And she's sitting on the back row. 
and, and I thought she was just too old to come to the altar. And, and, and he's back there making fun of everybody. Hey, when they bring oil, Brother Carson, it changes everything. So he's sitting there mocking, making fun of everything. And all of a sudden, when I looked up, that old gray-haired mama jumps out of that pew and said, Woo! Homeboy had made fun of everything we had done in that service. But when that chick screamed like that, he ducked and covered his head and started saying, Oh, Jesus. She had the devil praying before we ever got started. She had herself a shouting fit. And when she did, that boy ran to the altar. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And we... And today, he's preaching the gospel. You can worship your way to revival. I dare you to do it now. I dare you to shout a little revival up. That's not all. Sit down just a minute. That's not all. From the window of the wounded, Pastor Carson Michael could see the commitment that real revival required, but she couldn't see how God's glory followed that commitment. Consider with me that the people of God marched from Obed-Edom's house, which the best that I can tell is about three and a half miles to carry the Ark of the Covenant in God's revival back to their church. But it wasn't just a three and a half mile stroll because it appears that they stopped every six steps and made another round of sacrifices and had another shout down. Let's look at that. Three and a half miles is about 7,000 steps for the average man. <laughs> that means if David stopped every six paces, they stopped 1,167 times to offer praise unto the Lord. And if they're shout down, if it only lasted five minutes, it would have taken them almost exactly four days to walk that three and a half miles. Are you listening to me right now? Can you imagine the commitment required to march for four days from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem? It was going to take serious willingness to commit yourself to revival. But David understood that kind of commitment is going to bring the glory of God to my house. That kind of commitment is going to bring revival. God help me, I think I'm gonna preach. Even so, while David could see the glory that was following the commitment, all Michael could see from the windows of the wounded was how much commitment real revival was gonna demand of her. 
she saw all that dancing and shouting and flipping and flopping. That was ugly to her. I mean, that's just, 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 just ugly. It's, it's that much commitment. I just, I've got news for somebody. The Bible still talks about the beauty of holiness. You need to understand that our commitment to holiness is not an ugly thing. Our commitment to separation is not an ugly thing. Hey, I got a message for you, Michael. I don't care who's throwing commitments down, who's throwing holiness out the window, who's letting down on standards of separation. If you want real revival, you better never forget that your godly commitments will bring... It's those godly commitments that'll bring the glory of God to stay alive in your midst. Well, Brother White, I, I just don't know about all that. That's outdated. You're ignorant. It's not outdated, it's mandated. God didn't say living righteously is an option. He said it's an absolute. Okay, for all y'all that got a little bit nervous here, I'm not done yet. I dare you to take a closer look at those environments that have cast out our godly commitments and you'll see the glory of God doesn't come their way anymore. They've got to rely on gimmicks. They've got to rely on programs. They've got to rely on stunts because there's not enough godly commitment to keep the glory of God alive. One of my evangelists out of my church was preaching in California and walked into a coffee shop. Taylor Fish, evangelist out of my church, he'd witness to a statue. He'd go to the statue of David, tell somebody, cover that dude up. We're going to pray him through. He walks in, he starts witnessing to this, this guy. He said, oh, I'm saved. And tells him that he goes to some huge charismatic church. He said, he said, well, man, that's good. I'm glad you're involved in it. At least you, you got the things of God in me. He said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm used to God. He said, really? He said, yeah. said, I've got a job at the church. said, when church gets going real well, my job is to walk on top of the blackout ceiling. And there's a certain vent that I've got to take the top off of quietly and pour this gold glitter stuff in it so that angel dust can blow out on the people and they can have a move of God. Taylor said, that's not angel dust. Let me tell you what real glory is. I'm going to tell somebody, oh, by the way, he prayed him through and baptized him in Jesus' name. And now he's become an expert on the real glory of God. No, you were quick to run back to what you consider a safe spiritual distance because somebody hurt me, somebody stole my people, somebody did this, somebody. And now you find yourself looking through the windows of the wounded and God's doing his best 
to usher revival back into your world to change everything about you but because you're looking through the windows of the wounded you see our commitments as ugly and extreme and you're incapable of seeing that those kind of commitments is what's going to keep revival in your world is there anybody in here that still loves to serve God with a committed spirit gotta hurry that's not all if you insist on looking through the windows of the wounded you need to know that Michael could see sacrifices that real revival demanded but she couldn't see the blessings that real revival was going to bring to her world she just saw sacrifices all she could see you gotta realize one of the things that prompted David to go fetch the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem is it was told King David saying the Lord hath blessed everything that Obed-Edom has and everything that pertains to him and for that reason David essentially said okay if that kind of revival can bless Obed-Edom's house that kind of revival can bless my house now if you go by that verse that says every six paces they offered an ox and a fat if it was just one ox and it was just one fatly and they stopped 1,167 times that means they sacrificed at least 2,234 animals that's the kind of sacrifice you've got to make to have an Ark of the Covenant revival In, in David's mind, that was just a reasonable sacrifice to have that kind of revival. But to Michael, I just don't think revival should be that demanding. I don't think they should expect us to be at church when the doors are open to every service. I just don't think they ought to take up those kind of offerings. I just don't think. Let me tell you what the problem is. What you're not thinking is that kind of sacrifice is going to bring revival to your church. That kind of revival, that sacrifice is going to bring revival to your ministry. That kind of sacrifice is going to bring revival to your home. Sure, real revival sometimes demands a sacrifice of effort. Sacrifice of money, a sacrifice of vendettas, a sacrifice of your comfort, a sacrifice of your pride, a sacrifice of forgiveness. But I've got news for you. Revival's worth the sacrifice. <laughs> Revival is worth the sacrifice. Hey, wounded person, as you sit there in your spiritual isolation, how are you able to see the humbling emotions revival takes, but you can't see the revival that God's given you? How can you see commitments as extreme and ugly, but you can't see the glory? How can you see the sacrifice real revival takes, but you can't see the blessings? Oh, I know why. Because you're looking through the windows of the I'm pleading with somebody in this place. I'm begging you said it as a Mid-America Revival Conference. I'm begging somebody come out of that place where the wounded are, 
We want you to have revival too. We want your church to have revival too. Are you listening? You better give it all to God or you're going to end up living your life without ever experiencing the revival that God wants you to have. I've come to preach today that it's amazing to me that there are people who get hurt along the journey that isolate their hearts to the place that you're close enough to want revival but far enough to stop you from seeing the worship, the commitment, and the sacrifice are the elements that's going to bring supernatural revival to your world. I hasten to a close tonight. I need everybody, please, to listen to me. Can you imagine living close enough to the things of God? You can hear the voice of the prophets. You can feel the brush of God's anointing. You can speak the need for God's touch, but never be able to see the full periphery of the revival that God wants to release in your home, in your ministry, in your church. But that's exactly what happens to people that sit back and say, I can't have revival because of this. I can't have revival because of that. And I can't have revival because that church is trying to steal my people. And I can't have Brother, what that stuff does happen. I know it happens. Let me tell you something, Slick. I'm in a city of 6,000. We've got eight apostolic churches. But you know what? We get along with every one of them. We love every one of them. We pray for every one of them to have revival. We may have eight apostolic churches in 6,000, but there's still prostitutes on the street. They're still shooting up heroin in the alleys. You've got to be healed. You've got to be healed. Or you're going to waste your life hiding behind the windows of the wounded. His name was Ahithophel. And he was among the most trusted advisors King David ever had. In fact, Jewish history bears out that Ahithophel's counsel was so important to King David that it was though God himself was speaking. For years, Ahithophel served in that capacity. But many years later, the scripture tells about the unraveling of the relationship between David and Ahithophel. It seems that Absalom, David's son, would attempt to rip the throne from David and tear the crown from his head. And when it all come out, they found out he was being instructed how to do it by Ahithophel. The NZY would have hit the fell after sitting at the king's table for almost 40 years ever turned his allegiance against the king. What would cause a Ahithophel to callously try to tear the crown from David's head? Oh, that's right. I remember why now Jewish history tells us that Ahithophel was the grandfather of a girl named Bathsheba. The same Bathsheba that David sinned with. The same Bathsheba whose husband was sent to the front lines and killed. No, Ahithophel went through all the right motions. But when David sinned with his granddaughter, Ahithophel was wounded. 
Bible scholars make note of the fact that many times Ahithophel seemed to be antagonistic to David. He was so wounded by David's actions. <laughs> Brother Carson, for 39 years and nine months, Ahithophel plotted, someday I'll get my revenge. Ahithophel hurled himself into that isolated existence where the wounded go to serve the king from a distance. For 39 years and nine months, Ahithophel was hurt. David but couldn't see from the windows of the wounded just how welcome he was at the king's table. For 39 years and nine months, Ahithophel was wounded by David's humanity. But from the windows of the wounded, he couldn't see how glorious revival had overcome all of them failures. For 39 years and nine months, Ahithophel was offended by the fact that David's actions painted his granddaughter as a sinful person. But from the windows of the wounded, they were just too restricted to see God's revival had given him mercy had given him wisdom even though his hypocrisy held a grudge for 39 years and 9 months from the restrictive windows of the wounded Ahithophel couldn't see the mercy of the king the protection for his family the admiration of his friends he couldn't understand the wisdom of God and the revival of a kingdom all those years Ahithophel just couldn't see revival that hovered in his midst so 39 years and 9 months he served the king at a distance just like many of our churches just like many of our preachers, just like many of our leaders, they go through all the right motions. They say all the right things, but they've been hurt. They feel like they were treated unjustly and revival is standing in the atmosphere saying, come on. You need revival in your church. I got news for you. I believe exactly what Brother Enzi said. I believe revival could break out at Mark that could spread to every state that touches this state and then blow to every other. How can it happen, Brother White? There can be a healing here tonight and you can lay down your wounds. You can lay down your hurt. You can lay down your offenses. Stand to your feet with me right now.
Lift your hands to God right now. In just a moment, this altar is going to be filled with people who are genuinely going to let God heal them so they can have revival. Maybe now would be a good time to remind you that when David came home, Michael viciously hurled accusations and insults. She railed on him because she could only see a portion of what was going on out there. Through that window, her wounded spirit watched from. Finally, because of her inability to see that God was doing so much more than they could see. They're only having revival because they got a big crowd. How about this one? Yeah, but the reason we can't have revival is we've not compromised. There's a lot of us, sweetheart, that haven't compromised one iota. Well, they just don't care about doctrine. Oh, yes, we do. But be careful, Michael, if you make excuses long enough David's going to look down at you and tell you from this day forward you're going to be barren. You're going to have a barren spiritual life void of any real revival because you have been limited by the windows. I'm not saying you're not wounded. I'm not saying somebody wasn't unethical. I'm not saying the pain's not real. I'm saying you need healed tonight so your church can have the greatest revival it's ever had. If you want real revival, I'm begging you, crawl out of those pews. Find yourself a place at this altar. If you can't kneel, lift your hands and stand. But you need to give it to God. Give God all of those things that have held you down. Forgive those that have done you wrong. Rise above your wounds. Separate yourself from those excuses. Pray. 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 Revival's hovering. I don't care about COVID. It hasn't slowed God down. I know it's changing times, but God is still God. Revival, revival, revival. Come on, evangelist. Pray a revival into your ministry right now. Come on, pastor. Pray a revival into your world right now.
Hey. That's it. Lay those things down. Lay those things down. God, no more excuses. I need revival. My church needs revival. My family needs revival.